Four years ago, the exorcist shocked the world. Now, the struggle between good and evil goes on. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Everybody. Welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by Chris Hair Metal Hero Tyler. Let me just adjust my diaphanous white robe, and I'll be ready to go. Mm. <laughs> and Chris Honeywell. Call me Pazuzu. Pazuzu. I know. I'm going to pass on that. Or just Zuzu for short. Joe so- Zuzu. Any, anybody who <laughs> listens to this regularly will recall that not too long ago, the three of us sat and heaped praise upon praise on The Exorcist. And I was flipping through the channels, or flipping through the guide on the channels, and I saw The Exorcist 2 was coming up on, uh, of all things, Turner Classic Movies. Oh, boy. And I set my DV off for it, and I said, uh, you boys interested in taking this to the next step? And you both kind of cringed a little bit and said, yeah, I guess. Uh, I said I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> now, i got to tell you, I have never sat through this movie before. I was going to say I've never sat through it from beginning to end, but quite frankly, I still haven't, because I had to break this up into two sittings. <laughs> I was I not able to do it in. Too. I was not able to do it in one one straight through event because, uh, you know, I, I do say every once in a while we want to get a bad movie on, and I think this fits the bill. <laughs> but it's funny. That. It's funny because The Exorcist, which we previously reviewed, we all you know universally ranked it as Jaws. So you know, I'm trying to think of a movie where you know. It's one thing to have Jaws where you went from Jaws to Jaws 2 to Jaws 3, and Jaws 3 was awful. But I'm trying to think of another movie where the first movie was, you know, really a classic, and the the initial sequel was this bad. You could not do a a podcast without it being very confusing called, is it... Is it The Exorcist? <laughs> it doesn't follow that curve that Jaws... Jaws has the perfect curve. The Exorcist has... I've heard great things about Exorcist 3, so it's I, a really I've, good movie. Yeah, I've heard great things, but I've also heard... you know, I, I've Actually, you're the first one I think I heard that it's a great movie. I've heard that it's entertaining. I've heard that it's got its moments. Uh, but I, I, I don't think I've ever heard great before for Exorcist 3. But you know what? I'm going to have to give that... I remember... You know, when that was first showing up on cable, I kind of gave it a half-assed viewing, but I think I need to give it a, a real sit-down. And who knows, maybe I'll well, bother the Well, apparently there's two versions of it, too, so... No, that's the Exorcist, the beginning, that there's two versions of it. Oh, okay. It might be a director's cut okay, now so the for, exor- Okay, for so the... Yeah, so I, I don't know where... Exorcist... I heard Exorcist, the beginning, one of those was mediocre and one of them was really good. That's both pretty, they're they're both I've, pretty mediocre. I've never sat I've, through either of them, so I can't. And then I've heard, I've I've heard, I've heard mostly great things about Exorcist Three, and it was in that like 
period. Like I started hearing about him like a few years after the movie came out, you know. Yeah, so it was, in the it was a 90s, sleeper. If I remember right. It's it's one of those things where people have started watching it two or three times and going, you know what, I really like this, and you know, there's some really good. What uh, I I saw a video with somebody was arguing the point that it was a masterpiece of psychological terror. It's it's definitely a psychological thriller. Right. right, but we're not here to talk about that one. I'm no. sorry to cut you boys off. No, we're not. To change the subject. Yeah. Right? Let me give the plot of The Exorcist two. <laughs> you can you? Yeah, well, oh, only because I'm be only because I'm reading it. Oh. Philip Lamont, a priest struggling with his faith, attempts to exorcise a possessed South American girl who claims to heal the sick. However, the exorcism goes wrong, and a lit candle sets fire to the girl's dress, killing her. Afterwards, Lamont is assigned to the, by the Cardinal to investigate the death of Father Lancaster Merrin, who had been killed four years earlier in the course of exorcising the Assyrian demon Pazuzu from Reagan McNeil. The Cardinal informs Lamont, who has had some experience at exorcism and has been exposed to Merrin's teachings, that Merrin is facing posthumous heresy charges because of his controversial writings. Apparently, church authorities are trying to modernize and do not want to acknowledge that Satan actually exists. Reagan, although now seemingly normal and staying with her guardian Sharon Spencer in New York, New York, continues to be monitored at a psychiatric institute by Dr. Jean Tuskin. Reagan claims she remembers nothing about her ordeal in Washington, D.C., but Tuskin believes her memories are only repressed. Father Lamont visits the institute, but his attempts to question Reagan about the circumstances of Father Marin's death are rebuffed by Dr. Tuscan, who believes that Lamont's approach would do Reagan more harm than good. In an attempt to plumb her memories of the exorcism, and specifically the circumstances in which Marin died, Dr. Tuscan hypnotizes the girl, to whom she is linked by a synchronizer, a revolutionary biofeedback device used by two people to synchronize their brainwaves. Yeah, baby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. After a guided tour by Sharon of the Georgetown house where the exorcism took place, Lamont returns to be coupled with Reagan by the synchronizer. The priest yeah, is baby. spirited to the past by Pazuzu <laughs> to observe Father Marin exorcising a young boy, Kokumu, or Kokumo, in Africa. Learning the boy developed special powers to fight Pazuzu, who appeared as a swarm of locusts. Lamont journeys to Africa, defying his superior, to seek help from the adult Kokumo. Kakumo has become a scientist studying how to present, prevent locust swarms. Lamont learns that Pazuzu attacks people who have psychic healing ability. Reagan is able to reach telepathically inside the mind of others. She uses this to help an autistic girl to speak, for instance. Father Merrin, who belongs to a group of theologians that believed psychic powers were a spiritual gift, which would one day be shared by all people, thought people like Kakumo and Reagan were forerunners of this new type of humanity. In a vision, Merrin asks Lamont to watch over Reagan. Lamont and Reagan return to the old house in Georgetown. The pair are followed in a taxi by Tuscan and Sharon, who are concerned about Reagan's safety. En route, Pazuzu tempts Lamont by offering him unlimited power, appearing as a succubus, who is a doppelganger of Reagan. The taxi crashes into the Georgetown house, killing the driver, but his passengers survive and enter the house, where Sharon sets herself on fire. Although Lamont initially succumbs to the succubus, he is brought back by Reagan and attacks her doppelganger, while a swarm of locusts deluge the house, which begins to crumble around them. However, Lamont manages to kill the doppelganger by beating open its chest and pulling out its heart. In the end, Reagan banishes the locusts and Pazuzu, by enacting the same ritual attempted by Kokumu to get rid of the locusts in Africa, although he failed and was himself possessed. Outside the house, Sharon dies from her injuries, and Tuscan tells Lamont to watch over Reagan. Reagan and Lamont leave, while Tuscan stays to answer police questions. Now, I gotta say, as far as Wikipedia goes, that's a pretty good synopsis of the story, because this story was batshit crazy and very difficult to follow while I was watching. Here's the thing. I was I was right with the story until they decided they're going back to Georgetown. Then it didn't make any sense. This, at least in just blankly, flatly, dryly describing it, 
makes it sound more coherent. But once they get to the back to the Georgetown apartment, it's sort of like here's our excuse to like have some actual visual reference back to what you remember from the exorcist but it's just makes no sense at all as to what really happened there why there would be a doppelganger reagan hanging out there and why there's why there would be two separate it 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 makes no sense up until then i was following it it was stupid and (laughs) and crazy but it was it was followable maybe i've done too many psychedelic drugs back in the hippie <laughs> days or something but i was i was following along with it i, I thought I, I actually thought that there was too much exposition in the in the whole story you know uh, there, there were a lot of things that i got and, and they would just sit there and and keep stating them over and over again well you know my, my thoughts after seeing this movie was that there are plenty of things we could point to to say this was wrong with it. So <laughs> I'm going to challenge each of us, if we're Starting able. Starting with the concept of even making it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, we'll, and we'll get on, we'll get on all those things once we finish this aspect of the conversation. But I want to start it off with what about this movie did you think was positive? I loved, I loved the music. Ennio Marconi, come on. Yes. Okay. I did like the music. I I kind of thought but it, they but it didn't it didn't a... hold a candle to tubular bells. I'm sorry. No, it's but it's I mean it's totally different. It's it's super evocative in its and in its own way. Mu- but it is... the best music in it though comes over the end credits when it goes full out like Italian Jallo music. You know, it sounds like a Goblin song or something at the end. And I'm like, oh, I could have used this all through the movie. You know, it was it was a little more subdued. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the music wasn't bad, so I'll give you that. Uh, Mr. Honeywell, what do you got on that? What do you, what do you got positive? <laughs> I got lots of You said of you stuff. had a few things. I, you know what? So since you have a lot, I'm going to give you... I only really had two. Uh, the first was I liked the scene where uh, she helps the autistic child. I thought that was a good scene. It didn't really belong in there. It didn't really have any nexus to the movie, other than to say, see, she's got some sort of psychic gifts. Yeah, yeah, but I and it that was, was just like an, really an, abrupt. I thought it was, was a compelling neat. scene. When when I was watching it, that was that was one of the few parts where I perked up and started being interested in what was going on on the screen. So I'm going to give that one. And I also thought there were moments where the special effects weren't too too bad. Ooh, and that's that's, that's, that's definitely I'm, damning it with faint, faint praise. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's it's funny because yeah. the, the effects did vary. They, there was a great fluctuation in the quality. Like towards the end, when the house is up in flames, I, I thought the some of the special effects were awful. <laughs> right, right. But there were yeah. some moments before that that I didn't think were that bad, and, and it was more, it was less special effects, like in an effort to portray a scene, and more in an effort to be kind of trippy that I thought it, it was effective. Well, it's John Borman. <laughs> I yeah. saw, I, yeah, I saw an interview with uh, Freakin. Mm-hmm. Or it was he was speaking in public somewhere, and they'd asked him if he ever saw The Exorcist too, and he's like, I've never seen any of the sequels. I saw a few scenes of it. He said, you know, in the editing room they were editing near where I was editing, so I watched a few scenes, but it, you know, I was just like, what the hell is going on? But he told the story of opening night. Oh, I've heard he, this too. <laughs> he talked to the executives who, you know, put the money into this movie. So they all showed up to the huge, and, you know, the, the Exorcist was this cultural phenomenon, so people were, and, you know, they, you know John Borman was saying, like, this movie's going to freak people out and, you know, whatever. And so everybody's expect so, you know, packed house, and the, the movie starts playing, and instantly it's just being, like, people are laughing, just dying laughing, and eventually... And and all the executives had come there in their limos, and they told all their limo drivers, yeah, we're going to be in there for a couple hours. So you, you guys go ahead and you can go down the street and, and hang out like McDonald's or whatever, you know, and kill a couple hours before you come back. So all their limos were gone. <laughs> and everybody's cracking up and, and mocking the movie. And finally, somebody stood up and goes, hey, everybody, the people who made this movie are in this room right now. And then he turned around and he just pointed to them in the last row and he goes, and that's them in the last row. <laughs> and they uh, ran, ran out the door 
<laughs> to find their limos gone. Uh, yeah. Well, so, can you blame people? And legendarily, I guess, Borman recut the final reel and replaced the final reel after that. And when they screened it, nobody laughed. So they were like, yes, success. But by that time, too late. The damage had been done. And I don't think anybody's ever, I have not heard of anybody ever releasing or seeing that, like, you know, other than the people who saw it in the movies, the five people who saw it in the movies after it tanked, you know, originally. Yeah. The only the only home video release is Borman's original, the, the original version. Cut, the one we watched, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, that was before the days of DVDs and director's cuts, and also nobody cared <laughs> at that point. Nobody really yeah. was like, yeah, I'll give this one another chance with the director's cut. You know? <laughs> no. I, yeah, I mean, watching this was... It was difficult because uh, I, I I remember I only watched it once before because of the weird just the weirdness of it and I like weird movies I love two of John Borman's movies in particular I love Excalibur. Excalibur I love which one Deliverance and Excalibur Zardoz Oh Zardoz okay yeah I, not I, Deliverance I put Deliverance I put deli- Deliverance is a fantastic movie too. It is a great movie. It's also a but, very difficult movie to watch despite being excellent. Yeah, it is. Um and I I love the the book Deliverance as well. So the book it's is just unbelievably even better than the movie, I think. Yeah, that's that's why I put Zardoz ahead of of Deliverance and both of those have their share of weirdness, especially Zardoz. Yeah. Um his brand of weirdness was just wrong. For, for this, and I know he didn't write the script, but as a director, you can have a lot of influence over what you're putting on the screen, and I think his choices were not were not the best choices. Um, instead of this movie being the you know one of the most terrifying things ever seen, it's one of the most you know Valium esque things I've ever seen. It's there's not a there's not a terrifying moment, and there's not even like a moment of horror like. The 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 woman burning up at the end is so blasé. It's supposed to be horrific, and it's just like written in there, you know. And it's just like, ah, we don't. I don't care about her. I didn't care (laughs) either. I didn't care about why was why was she with her in the first place? There's there's no because Ellen Burstyn wasn't going to be right. She was she was basically what was like standing in for Ellen Burstyn, and she was in the first movie, but that her. Her like if they would have made some her like involvement in the whole thing more clear, it would have made sense why she like suddenly burned herself up. But it didn't serve any purpose. That came like, from absolutely out of nowhere. Right. It was just a moment of like we need something horrific to happen here, and this is good, supposed to be. It's a very typically seventies cheap, shocking, and horrific scene. You know. Yeah, the, it's, the, but, it's it's a bad a badly played version of I did it all for you, Damien. Oh yeah, I see. It was so bad that didn't even pop into my mind when I was watching it. Because yeah, when because I did it for you, Damien was actually a good hor- horrific moment. Right, right. That's what it was. Just had, just had none for. of that. It was it was inspiring for that sort of feeling. But I thought I was I I, well, I uh, it, part of. The, I was going to say I'm ready to set up the defense. Boys. Yeah, well, that's that's All actually right, well, we, we, I, I, we were holding I, off on you because you said the were. most positive. Right, so. let, I got to get this out first, though. The okay. acting in this is really bad. Yes, like it's it's horrendously bad. I don't think anybody gives other than other than uh, James Earl Jones when he's not in full on Kakumo mode. I don't think anybody gives a decent performance in well, this. Here, and, here's, here's the defense I'll give on that. I think uh, what's her name? Uh, Louise Fletcher's character was very poorly written, and she didn't have any real good lines to deliver. But I think she did as good a job with what she had. She did okay she with heard. what she had, but she, yeah, but it wasn't good. What I mean, because no. it we wasn't know good because it was impossible to give those lines well. Yeah, and and Linda Blair somehow won a Saturn Award for her performance in this. She didn't. She she was neither good nor bad. I thought. Oh, I thought I she the, was. I blame the director horrible. for. I blame the director for. I blame John Borman for Linda Blair. I think she was directed to act younger than she was, yes. and to be more 
Hero and I were talking about this beforehand. They wanted her to be more childlike, to as, as a reference so, to to feel more like the other movie, and so that when Succubus Reagan shows up, it's all the more shocking to see like when like you dress a, her in what you dressed her in, John. It's hard <laughs> for that to mean anything. Yeah, they did. The they did kind of do a little is, TNA on her with the. It outfits. was and. Uh, it, it, Linda Blair grew up very attractive woman, right? This, this there was such a ick factor watching this one, especially it's, having well, seen her when she was whatever twelve in the first movie. Yes, it just it, it, so much of her, of the scenes that she's in just felt so. This was remember so the ti- remember the time period from this and it's uh, like John Borb. I'm not saying. Let's chalk it up to the time period. I'm saying let's chalk it up to the time period, and that time period was filled with Ro- Roger Vadams and and John Bo- John Borman and uh, uh what uh what was the other guy's name that was a crazy um filmmaker? He did Listomania, which is one of the Ken Russell. Yes, yes. You know, kind of pervy. They're, and they're all kind of pervy around the edges. I mean, there was that, also that scene where, where they thought the father was after a hooker, and they brought the, brought that girl out. And I'm looking at that girl going like, 12, <laughs> you know? And they got her with her boobs oiled up and stuff, and I'm like, that would not fly today. Yeah, I don't know, it's... You know? So, yeah, there's th- that ick factor is sort of built into those crazy directors in those time periods. They were just like, so everybody must be nude. Well, sure, but not... This is just a screen test. But I think you guys hit it on the head. I think it's a combination of they wanted her to portray the innocence from the first movie, but they also wanted to take advantage of the fact that she was growing up to be very attractive. And you're giving a very, very mixed and kind of dirty-feeling message there. Yeah, and, and, and and her childlike Reagan is so annoying and sing songy and, like, Weird. I mean, something could have been done with all of that right up until the end, I think, if it was written well. <laughs> no, it, that's, I mean, I think that's where you start off. That's where you start off on almost any movie is, you know, if it was bad, badly written, there's really not too much you can do. I don't care how well directed it is. I don't care how good the acting is. And I don't care how good the special effects are. If it's badly written, it's going to be a bad story no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that, that's the the you know yeah that's your framework that you're starting with, and uh, this movie was introduced to me by the person who was like a, a film fanatic and was like, you haven't seen The Godfather? Boom, rented Godfather Part One and Two. It was one of the first people I knew with a a VCR. You know, made me watch Godfather One and Two and in Apocalypse Now and. Uh, and was like, here you can go frame by frame with a Clockwork Orange and and study it and like you know like and then was like had me watch The Exorcist too and I'm like you got to be kidding me because I'd read the Golden Turkey Award and this was the second worst film of all time and he was like no this is a really like a undiscovered masterpiece you know it's 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 just you can't think of it you can't compare it to The Exorcist it's a different kind of movie and stuff like that. And I remember not, all I remember is not being, I watched it thinking of that and was like, ah, no. (laughs) And I was like, that was over 30 years ago. That was like 35 years, you know, I was like 16 years old. So, yeah, this was the second time I watched it. And I have to say, I enjoyed watching it. Okay, so now give us the things that you enjoyed. Let's let's go line them up. (laughs) I love the special effects. Except for except for when they're optical printing, um, the the um, the the bugs, the the, the that the big bug, and any when when you have a swarm of locusts, sometimes it looked good because they actually were filming swarms of locusts. Other times they'd film swarms of locusts and optically printed them onto the screen, and then it looked like the bees. That movie, the bees. <laughs> And it was just terrible. That that was the worst. But I love all the flying through the the um, miniature sets. The, the, everybody makes fun of that stuff. I love I, it because he's going. I thought the special effects were great for that because 
he's going for a dream time sort of thing, you know, and it's and like the end, the last shot of the movie was supposed to be sort of, the, I think, the big reveal of that, that sometimes, you know, and, you know, when he met Kakumo and had to step onto the spikes and uh, and then ended up in the, in scientist Kakumo's office, you know, but so a, a lot of those sets look dreamy and fake in a way. But I like that. It was it was it was nice on it was nice on my eyes for the most part. And like it was it was a well lit movie. Um, it just it never it never bored me. It was you know it was very interesting to watch how much time and money they put into this you know thinking they were making a masterpiece and i mean there's a lot of money and 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 there's little things in it and there's the the scene where they're in the in the 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 psychiatrist office it's an octagon of, gl- of glass <laughs> what the hell it's the stupidest it's it's an awesome piece of design and then at the end you find out all the kids are just staying there too so at night they put their beds in there and so it's just like this commune of like all, all differently, I'm guessing, rich, mentally disturbed kids. Uh, but the scene where they have the the mind link up, and you can see Reagan, the the evil, you know, the 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 possessed Reagan, and she's she's pawing it at Louise Fletcher's heart, and they're they're crossing over the visuals. That was a really neat neatly visualized scene and really weird and kind of tense and like what the hell is going on and there are all these moments of that where i'd watch something and go like something could have been done with this something could have been made of this and you know john borman's trying to make something of it but i mean who's you know maybe david lynch could have turned this into something (laughs) Uh, i don't know i don't know who could have made this something (laughs) yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Again, like I said, when you just start with the story, I don't think anybody was making anything of this story. I, uh, I, I yeah. just don't see it. But, but yeah, keep going. What are the positives you got, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I like James Earl Jones. I always like Louise Fletcher. The the octagon is my favorite thing. I love watching it because you don't have to pay attention at all to the main story. You pay attention to what's going on. The, the, there's 15 dramas going on in the octagon at all times, and sometimes they're really stupid, sometimes they're, like, hilarious. There's always somebody pushing that, that, that octagon, that, like, rubber octagon around, and it's, it's just wonderful to watch, like, this just... The, the idea of like an experiment, this is the 70s idea of an experimental um, um, psychiatric institute or something, you know, and and how blasé they are about like, we've got this thing that straps on to people's heads and links their minds. Yeah, of course we keep it in this drawer and, and, and use it and stuff. And uh, oh, I just... I, I thought some I, of those scenes it. actually were ponderous with the, the oh the, my god the every time they pull the, on. every time they pull that synchronizer out it's like all right you can go take a whiz or take a nap because it's just ugh, bad I love it <laughs> that's how I felt watching it my body was shutting down <laughs> must put out the fire that's I oh my god. How 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 happy and hilarious was it that he has his vision of the fire, finds this fire, and then tries to uh, this everything Richard, that you can do wrong to put a fire out. He does. He's beating it with a cane. <laughs> Just so we can get that visual. Oh my god, he does some amazing shifty eye acting though. Well, he's yeah, I, all I just all he does is sweat and shift his eyes and tell everybody that he flew with a demon this guy would not have many problems at all he would have been able to navigate this whole movie so much 
easier if he wasn't stopping everybody that that he talked to and going, you know, Zuzu. we were the demon, <laughs> and, it's, and that's where they start throwing rocks at him. It's like, dude. Stop telling people that. You don't need to tell them that you flew with Pazuzu. That was my favorite scene when they start throwing the rocks at him. <laughs> I, I thought he was terrible. I thought he was terribly cast in this movie. I, I've never thought he did Richard not want to be there. I've he never did thought not he was a good actor, there. actually. I, I don't think Max von Sydow wanted to be there either because his yeah. performance was not great either. But and he hardly sh- had to be there. <laughs> but I've always what found should... Burton to be stiff and pretentious. I never, I never thought he appeared natural in any movie, and he didn't in this either. It, it, yeah, it's like soap opera acting. Yes, yes, yes. that's yes. a good call for it. It's 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 called drunk acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if he was drunk and he was a little more subdued, it might have been a little bit more naturalistic. Well, I think it was. Just, I think it was just easier with those lines to go over the top with him, because he's just his character is such an idiot. You know, all his character is doing is like stumbling through this whole thing and that like weird he's I guess he's is he supposed to be having I, I mean, I don't think he's having a crisis of faith. Right. Because he's full on no. believing in. Pazuzu yeah, I don't think he stuff. has yeah. any, any crisis of faith whatsoever. So and, why is and, it he like acting? He's not acting like a driven man. He's acting like a confused. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't really drunk. seem to have much of a, a story arc in the movie. He's. I guess he's no. supposed to be more the point of view character. Yeah, he's supposed to be who we're like, and and we're there's seeing only the one story point through his eyes. But that's part one. of the problem is that almost every character in this is a point of view character. I mean, even the time we spend with Reagan is like, it's not even. Nobody has a her. mark, really, in this. Yeah. Things no, just happen to people in this. I did, they're, it, just, they're just passing time until the uh, Washington house burns down. Right. I mean... That's really what this movie is. And they cure one autistic child. Theoretically, yeah. there's, I guess there's some sort of arc where, well, I think it's, you know, there's chosen ones who can fight Pazuzu. Linda Blair's one of... And she can do things like help an autistic kid... And then there's there's Kukumu Kukumo <laughs> in in Africa, who's also one of the uh, you know anointed people. So and like so now Richard Burton is there to protect Linda Blair, you know, to to protect her and I don't know continue the fight against Pazuzu. I guess I, they pulled. I mean, it's hard well, that, that send him back to hell or the idea of having people that are sprouting up in the world that are healers is a great i mean that's a a nice logical extension if you're going to continue on with reagan's story but the presentation is just absolutely terrible it's like like the setup for dream warriors basically essentially yeah (laughs) i think the closest thing i can come to a story arc in this is dr tuscan who starts off with the total, you know, medical attitude towards things and eventually becomes a believer uh, to the point where she says, oh, yeah, take her and take care of her. You know, like there's no legal ramifications to sending a <laughs> child <laughs> off with a priest. Yeah. Theoretically, her mother's still off at a movie shoot, so her mother should be coming back at any time. Well, like her come to Jesus or come to Pazuzu moment, if you want, is just so matter-of-fact and blah. She's matter of fact about they have this amazing medical technology that can link up two minds, right? Yeah. Like, like oh, it's just science. It's like no, if you had this thing, the military would be after it. Everybody would be after it. And to you, it's nothing. It's, it's like, the fucking Vulcan mind meld in a in a <laughs> in, in a headband in, in the drawer in her office. <laughs> Uh, you got any more positives? <laughs> it was it was it it was fun to watch and it's a fun to me it's a fun bad movie like this it's it's made for the MST3K whether it's in your head or not there's there's plenty of fun I mean like like you could there's so many drinking games you could build around this this movie oh my and, god you'd be dead. And you know, and but you know how before we started, Paul, you said something like, "I don't know, you'd be hard pressed to find a worse movie." No, no, no. I think, I think what I said was hard pressed to find a dichotomy from one that was so good to one that was so bad. Oh, oh, okay. 
you know, from this first sequel. I think, you know, you can go to eventual sequels. You know, it's funny. I was listening to the Film and Water podcast today, and they uh, they came, they came gave me one that, that would challenge it, and that was from the 1976 King Kong to the 1986 King Kong Lives. <laughs> well, I'd rather King watch King Kong, Kong Lives. This is another one I can watch over and over and over again. And actually, I get, I get like joy from king kong lives it's a bad movie objectively but oh my god he he he, he tears a redneck in half and and just chows him <laughs> like like a, a a bad little meaty dummy he goes and then he eats it it's ridiculous you know the the, the heart transplant scene <laughs> oh, so stupid. oh my god but you know what again i, I don't want i don't want to veer into that one because but you know i again i think that just you know you're emphasizing my point you found you found some pluses in that horrible movie uh i'm trying to think of a sequel a direct sequel where the drop off is as steep as it is on this Ooh. Oh, 50 shades darker it, why, well, was, you know, why was the I first mean, one good well, the, well i don't know i just i've not seen these films and I nor guess would relati- i but. relative to the other ones it is but the, the, then then again you're talking about another it, there, there's, you know, I think there's something that even further distinguishes this into badness is, you know, there's been plenty of like knockoff cheapo movies that were that did decently and that were like decent for what they were. And then all of a sudden had sequels that like nobody took it, you know, that were just cash in and that were terrible. But this is we're talking like. Exorcist 2 is like coming close to like sync the studio type of budget, you know what I mean? It's it's a humongous budget to a a big budgeted major motion picture that won Oscars and terrified a nation and well, had the church talking and you know it was it sparked national conversations and stuff and uh so this I mean it's double underlined and standing out for being just like and on top of it super highly anticipated <laughs> well i guess because it was so highly anticipated this was not a huge flop uh, according to wikipedia the budget for this movie was 14 million which is pretty high in 1977 yeah yeah uh, and the box office take was 30.7 million and my understanding is back in that era double the budget was considered financially successful well, we know why Ned Beatty signed up. Because he only had to have, like, two lines. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he got, he, he got out of a John Borman movie relatively unmolested in, in this one. <laughs> yeah, after Deliverance, he, he had to be happy about that. <laughs> He's like, let me read the script of this one first. Well, oh, I bring religious artifacts to nuns. Okay, I don't have I to squeal? Sign <laughs> me up. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, you were talking to me off air um, uh, about your Zack Snyder uh, <laughs> thoughts on this. I, I I think those need to be relayed to I'm gonna people. Now, this sounds like me just being a jerk and trying to start a fight, but I'm not. I've I'm, I've been formulating this in my head all day. I would say I I I, I would say that Zack Snyder really wants to be John Borman. And I'm going to directly relate that to the Dark Knight or Batman versus Superman, which starts out with them coming out of Excalibur. So he that was when I was like, oh, I get it. He he's, thinks he's John Borman. And the, the parallels and I would. I enjoyed and I'm not going to say better movie, worse movie. I enjoyed watching the the fail I consider them both train crash failure blockbusters, but I enjoyed watching The Exorcist to the Heretic so much. It, it, coming from the mind of John Borman and uh, and a failure coming from the mind of Zack Snyder, I I you know I've been hard pressed even for critical purposes to watch. Batman versus Superman again because it was just so grueling for me to sit through. Like, 
True. It, it's also an hour longer than The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which mm-hmm. <laughs> that could that could have been one thing. This movie could have been like two hours and forty five minutes long or something, and it was it still was two hours long. <laughs> but I, I think there's a I think there's a a big parallel between the two, and I really I'm and watching The Exorcist 2 was cementing it even more more so because it's like the, the I mean. The Exorcist too, like the actual like kindest things I can say about it all have to do with um, the visual sense of John Borman and a couple ideas here and there that that uh, that showed like he was trying to he was thinking of something, you know, he was trying to work something in there. Apparently, like he tried to work the philosophy of Nietzsche. Young and another French philosopher whose name I can't remember. Um, into Rene, it wasn't Descartes, but it was Rene something. Um, so he was trying to do stuff, and that's what I see in like a lot of Zack Snyder movies too. But yeah, there's there's, there's like a spark of life in The Exorcist too <laughs> that I didn't see in Batman versus Superman. And I would watch it. I would watch it over that. I would watch it. I, I will watch this movie again. I'm sure at some point, you know, for 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 enjoyment. What oh, what I'll give you brave. in Batman v Superman and this one, uh, or Zack Snyder in this one. Not necessarily Zack Snyder and John Borman because I think Deliverance and uh, Excalibur don't have this. But in uh, this movie, in Batman v Superman, in Watchmen. Uh, there seems to be more of an effort to present a pretty picture, and this one yeah. doesn't do a very good job with that anyway, but a, a pretty picture, and the p- performances almost come off as soulless. They just, it, you know, the, the actors don't feel like they're living their lines. They just feel like they're <clears throat> saying They're props. Them. Yeah. Yeah, they're props in, in, the, in the grand visual scheme. And again, I, I don't feel that way about Deliverance and Excalibur with Borman, so I can't necessarily say it's... Uh, you know, something that he always had a problem with in this one. I think, you know, this is just, they're just running through the steps on this one. And that's, that's what I definitely feel like in some Zack Snyder movies. And and I don't think he's just taking the easy way out, but I think, you know, with Zack Snyder, his, you know, if everybody hits their mark and they deliver their line without stammering, it's like, okay, you know, the special effects are good. All right, fine. Print it. You know what I mean? I don't don't think he, I I don't think he says, Oh, you could have said that better. I kept finding myself like watching this just going like like the the scene where they were in the museum walk in they cut they cut from Africa to them walking through the past the dioramas in the museum and uh and I thought wow this is visually just it's it's really neat and kind of stupid at the same time <laughs> but it's really visually arresting and then and then the 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 dialogue between the two of them just yeah is is completely you don't even really have to pay attention to it for honestly to follow the story it's it's all just and it's just sort of the the you know the two actors getting through their page of script their you know two or three pages of script and mm-hmm. and and walking at the you know hitting their cues at the right time so the camera is catching the cool depth of the dioramas you know so it was everything there was just to capture this neat scene and you know all of a sudden there they are in the museum you have no idea why or whatever or how they got you know <laughs> so it's yeah it's like vision it's like a visual sketchbook it's like yeah, that and that was probably all John Borman could sink himself into to <laughs> make it interesting. You know, it's one of those Frankenstein creations where they said, which is sort of like you know the the Zack Snyder um, Warner Brothers thing. It's a it's a very major studio thing where they go like, let's hire this director who's had some success. Let's put some you know. Let's get some actors attached to it and throw some money into it and step back and let's see what happens. Maybe it'll be genius, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, I, one of my notes in here is 
poor all the good actors. Because <laughs> <laughs> they got their job, and then they saw the other actors' side. You know, Louise Fletcher was probably, well, a lot of people were probably going, ooh, Louise Fletcher, because she's hot off, you know, one full of the cuckoo's nest. You know, I mean, everything about it sort of said prestige, you know? I mean, John Borman... John Borman was known for deliverance more than anything else, and that wasn't, you know, that wasn't like the work of a crazy man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, you know, and then you had all these actors, and and it, it just seemed like on paper it should be a good idea. That's the that's the problem. That's I mean, you nailed it. It's it's the best intentions with a I'd high like quality. To, there's cast. a making there's a making of book, but Ooh. I couldn't find it for less than like forty five dollars on eBay. It goes up to one hundred and seventy. It's a paperback, and I guess it didn't sell much, so it didn't have a big. There aren't many copies of it out there, but I'd like to see. Why, why, since they were throwing all this money around, they must have tried to get William Peter Blatty involved in it, and why he didn't, why he he did not have anything to do with it, you know? And and I don't know, I've never heard anything, and probably because of this movie, ever since of that writer. <laughs> so... I don't know why that writer was chosen. I don't know if he was supposedly good or if he was just some hack they got or something or what it was, but it's it's spelled like a hack <laughs> a hack movie. That, yeah, there you go. It's hacky. Yeah. The whole thing is hacky. It just felt like it was thrown together to try and exploit the first movie is really what it felt like to me. Yeah, why then why not just throw together an hour and a half and save some money and 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 uh and cut the budget on actors. <laughs> you know, it was you know, there was, there was, I mean, just in special effects and the people who had to build all the African sets and the miniature sets and stuff and, and the, the cinematography was intense and time consuming. The, the, just the octagon psychiatry set was really a, quite a, quite a complicated and nice bit of set building, especially since, you don't want to. You have all that glass, and you yeah. don't want to reflect the entire film crew. You have to avoid getting the film crew and the boom mics in every shot from forty different reflected angles. So, I mean, technically, there was a lot of work and effort put into this movie, and I imagine there was some location work done in Africa and and research and uh, yeah, a, a lot of human beings. <laughs> put a lot of time and effort and money into this movie well i always say that that even bad movies when they're on the set of them it's very rare that i think they know they're making a bad movie and sometimes I, I think they in their minds they're they're, they're they're putting you know together their for your consideration speech yeah a, a lot a lot of a lot of well i, I mean then the, then again there was like a good chunk especially tom hardy on the set of mad max fury road were like yeah, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> I think Tom Hardy gave it like after they finished shooting, he gave it like a total vote of non of no confidence until he saw the rough cut. And then he goes, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes <laughs> some in certain movies, I think there are some movies where they really know they're doing something special. But mm-hmm. I think more often than not, you don't really know until you see the final product. How it's gonna and I've out. heard I've heard a lot of people also been like, oh yeah, like you know, before the movie came out and they're talking about how there was something special there and everybody loved each other and a rapport and a creative energy and then the, and then it's like heart beeps or something like that. <laughs> is that what we're doing next, Paul? Is that what you're gonna have us do next? Is heart beeps? No, we. Because I'll I, do it. I, I, don't, don't threaten me. Me do it. Don't I can't. I cannot guy. set the bar low enough for you. I know. <laughs> but what else do we have on this uh, classic? Uh, I don't know if I want to say anything else about it. It's just—it's <laughs> so disheartening because The Exorcist is one of the finest films ever made. This the Exorcist is, Two is not. This is what I. This is what I would request from the listenership. 
Is there anybody out there who after they I, – I, I just genuinely like to know if anybody – like after they listen to this podcast goes out and wa- and lis- watches this movie to <laughs> well, here's, here's the one I'm, what I'm thinking way. right now is as, as I'm starting do it as I'm starting to get ready to give us the Jaws scale you know Jaws is an all-time classic we know this movie isn't that uh, Jaws 2 a really solid movie that you know you could watch over and over again this isn't that now I'm pretty sure I know where where hero and I are landing on this thing with the next two oh categories. I might surprise you uh, I'm not sure. I'm not. Qu- well, okay, you might then. But I, and I wasn't as sure about uh, Mr. Honeywell because Jaws three would be a movie that's you know enjoyable, watchable, entertaining, but just not you know not particularly special. And Jaws four would be a bad movie. Now I'm going to just jump out in front and say I think this is out and out a bad movie, and it's Jaws four. I have no problem with that at all, <laughs> and I don't think there's anything either of you are going to say right now that they're going to change my mind. But why don't you two each take the stage and see what you think? I uh, let, let me jump in here, and unfortunately, I'm bound to the to the four Jaws movies. There was a Jaws Nintendo game, which was one of the worst video games ever made. I want to put this as as Jaws the video game, but I, but I can't. So you want to put it below Jaws four? I yes, I do. Well, then, then uh, I, I, I would say make... that the uh, you know what what you're doing is you're saying you're giving it the lowest of Jaws fours. That's all. I am giving it the lowest of low Jaws fours. Okay. Yes. So so uh, so then you, you did a, not surprise it isn't me. Isn't even in your a review. Jabber Jaws, is it? <laughs> So, so the, the question is going to be, where does Mr. Honeywell fall? Does he think, you know, having heard what he says, does he think this mm-hmm. is a watchable movie that's entertaining even though it's not special? Or does he think it's a bad movie? I've, I've got to say, I'm going to jump out on a limb and say, with your movie-making background or your movie, film class background, you have to say this is a bad movie. <laughs> it is a bad movie. I'm still giving it a Jaws 3. Because it's, I think it's a good bad movie. It's an entertaining bad movie. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, I watched it in two parts, but that was only because of time constraints, or, or I would have, I would have sat transfixed all the way through. Now, mind you, I wasn't transfixed like, oh, this is awesome, but just like, oh my god, <laughs> what next? Oh, geez, and and it keeps. It keeps delivering on its badness, like unrelentingly, and to an almost, you know, it's it 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 goes over the top, and it. I I saw Jaws three twice in the theater, and it's a similar sort of thing where it's like I'm watching it, like okay. I watched Jaws three twice in the theater. I watched Jaws four a couple times but only because it was playing in our hotel room and on your TV that one day. <laughs> we were all eating pizza, and we were all there to, to mock it. But I would probably watch Jaws. I've watched Jaws 4 all the way through once, and I don't really remember too much about it other than the stuff that we were watching <laughs> on TV those days. And and I never am going to be like, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to watch Jaws 4, unless it's like something where we're all together and just because we're drunk or something, we go like, let's watch Jaws 4, memories, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I would watch Jaws 3 again, and I will watch Jaws 3 again sometime because it's enjoyable it's it's badness is enjoyable to me and and the, the same same with this i will i will watch like richard burton staggering around drunk telling everybody who'd care to listen that he flew with a demon and brushed brushed the wings of a demon it's it's lovely <laughs> well, I, I think you hit it on his on the head on its head where I think the best circumstances, if there ever is going to be a repeat viewing of this movie by me, is that they put it on Mystery Science Theater. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it's unlikely to ever happen. I'm very surprised that it hasn't been on Mystery Science Theater. It seems like yeah. might be, it might be a rights issue. It's probably going to cost too much to license this. <laughs> but why? Because it why is a John it? Borman movie, and it's it's a Warner Brothers picture, right? Yeah, but still, yeah. you'd think they you'd think they'd have some bargain ones out. You'd think that if anyone like, it, like, like Warner Brothers could actually, I mean, yeah, like it's like we could, we could actually make more money off Exorcist Two, you know, instead of making no money off it, 
You know, it's it's far enough in the past that it's not like all all those executives are probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for coming on and discussing this debacle with me. And uh, the one thing I could say with confidence is the next episode of Is It Yours will probably have a movie that's better than this one. How could it not? It would be difficult. It's, it's, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going for, for anything but low-hanging fruit on that prediction. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, 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 I'd be back for Exorcist three. Oh, well, yes, I will. But from everything I understand, Exorcist, Exorcist three is far superior to Exorcist two, which could just bring it up to Jaws three level. That's a low bar, yeah. <laughs> That's a low, low bar. I I think you guys will be surprised when you get around to watching it. I would say at some point the three of us will discuss that one because I do have a curiosity level to see it. And if nothing else, the fact that Jason Miller is in it is a a plus for me. Well, I believe wasn't William Peter Blatty involved also? Mm -hmm. And uh, George C. Scott, I think, is the main actor. It's so, uh yeah we'll get there we'll get yeah there. that that has a curiosity level for me so I, I I would definitely be willing to uh, entertain that one. Well, if anybody goes out and watches um, Exorcist to the Heretic, you can lay it all on me, good or bad. At least we will absolve Paul and Hero from any any blame on that. Um yeah, I'm Pontius Pilate and myself on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the point where I would ask you guys to tell everybody what shows you're on, but I'm gonna tell everybody just you know, check the two true freaks network. They're all over the freaking place. Yeah, we're all yeah. over it. So thank you guys for coming on and talking to me about this one and uh we'll see you all next time. Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take Bermuda. Go down the